0: Good morning, church family. How are you guys doing today? Good. We are going to be in Ephesians today, end of chapter 5, beginning of chapter 6, so if you want to turn there now. Uh, Good morning. My name is Tim Thetford. I am one of the staff elders here at Christ Community, uh, staff elder of discipleship and counseling. And uh, we are in our series, Making Much of Jesus. And today we're going to be talking about family. And I have the pleasure of presenting how we do that uh, through God's intention, God's purpose for family. And this is my family. Uh, This is uh, my wife and I, uh, our two daughters, our son, uh, my son-in-law, and then uh, my second daughter's special friend. And uh, there's, some, there's some, uh, some concern, do I put him in the picture? Do I use a picture? It's not the Christmas card, so, so it's okay. Uh, we, love, we love Isaac. But as I was preparing for the sermon and thinking through um, family, of course, I'm going to think about my family. And my family right now, I have a daughter and a son-in-law who are married and who are out of the house. And so we're, we're happy to see them when we, when we get to see them, but they're, they're not under my roof anymore. I've got another daughter who's going away to college uh, very soon, and then I have a son who's uh, in his senior year in high school, and, and so he won't be around much longer either. And so the question is, like, in this season of transition where my kids are going away, what does that mean for us as a family? And that was part of what I was thinking about Uh, as I prepared for the sermon. I also wanted to talk about a lot of the things that, um, as a parent, I wanted, you know, I wish people would have told me earlier that I've learned along the way, and I want to pass some of those things on to you as well. So uh, we can make, we can only make much of Jesus as a family when we understand and follow God's intentions and design for the family. And so this is going to be our our outline that um, God's intention of the family for children is to practice obedience and experience growth in the Lord. The parents would exercise discipline and invest in instruction. And then as a family, we would practice loving God, loving others, and then living out that gospel. And so the Christian family, uh, the family that makes much of Jesus, is disappearing and it's going extinct. And I don't mean the traditional family, dad, mom, two and a half kids. I mean the biblical understanding of family is itself being redefined out of existence. Contemporary culture is redefining family through gay marriage and cohabitation, living together before you're married, being married and not living together. Even polygamy is becoming more and more acceptable. all are an assault on God's design for the family. And I think that that's, uh, as Kyle prayed, that that, that it's a picture of who God is. And it's a picture of who we are to be as the church. So God's design for family is that parents whose love produced children should live together in marriage, working together to provide a godly home and stability for their children. And unfortunately, as our culture rejects God and, and suppresses this truth, God's intention and purpose for family has all but vanished uh, as a cultural idea. I also want to say that, that in, in going through this, I realize that there's God's design and God's intention for family, but that doesn't always work out. And I know that sometimes family can be um, a touchy subject. It can be messy. It can be painful. But here we go, Uh, the idea of of family, a family that makes much of Jesus, that brings glory and honor to Christ is really just ordinary Christians living in the ordinary circumstances of life out of the extraordinary grace of the gospel. These aren't just two parent families. We, We know God honoring single parents and grandparents who are valiantly raising their grandchildren. Some parents are foster parenting and adopting. Others are trying to figure out how to take care and honor their aging parents. And I want to encourage you, uh, if you're single or if you don't have kids or if your kids are raised and out of the house, uh, to ask how we, as the body of Christ, can work together to promote and support godly families. And this challenge goes both ways, I think, uh, for singles and families in the church. For families, how can we incorporate and integrate singles into the family life, if this is good, God's good design. Well, I say this because I see in Paul's instruction to family in his letter to the church in Ephesus, when he talks about family, he does it in the context of the church and he does it in the context of the body of Christ. If you flip back a little bit to chapter four, starting in chapter four, he speaks about unity in the body. Then he speaks about new life in Christ, verse 17. This is the way we should act or respond in the body of Christ, verse 25. Chapter five, he says, imitate God our father, walk in love because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Walk as children in the light, verse nine, be filled with the spirit, give thanks to God for the blessing of church, 20. Submit to one another. Paul's instruction to families is given in the context Of God's family we see the implications of this in something like our child dedication services here Um, child dedications are as much parents promising to raise their children in the Lord as they are the church dedicating promising to come alongside the parents in support and encouragement and instruction and discipline discipleship of their children We need to ask ourselves, how are we coming alongside young families? Could that look like watching their kids if they're going to go to a parenting conference? Is that babysitting so they can have a date night out? Is that teaching Sunday school or Awanas, helping them through tutoring, homeschooling? Again, inviting singles, young and old, into the lives and the homes of families. And let me speak to uh, singleness for just a second. In Genesis 1, God creates everything and he declares it good. Then he said for the first time, it was not good for man to be alone. And so it's not that singleness is not good, but being alone isn't good. And so if you haven't listened to Dylan Budd, Dylan Budd came in and, and gave a message on singleness a few weeks ago in this series. You should go back and you should listen to that. In it, he says that family is not the solution of our deepest desire, that Jesus is, that our joy should be found in Christ. And so family isn't to be this idol, but when our desires desires are aligned with God's, we'll see that families matter, and, and not just your own family, but the families around you. All right. Reading in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22, it says wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Skipping down to verse 32, it says this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so Rob Lister came in Uh, And blessed us with his sermon on marriage in this series, again, highlighting these passages, so I'm not going to go super deep into them, but if you weren't here, again, go check it out on our webpage. He talked about cultivating three-dimensional intimacy in marriage, because marriage is a picture of the church's intimate relationship with Christ. It's an example within marriage and outside of marriage of God's love for his bride. And I say inside of marriage I'm meaning that oftentimes in counseling and marriage counseling or premarital counseling we use this picture of, of Christ and the bride uh, the church right in, in marriages that a husband would love and sacrifice for his wife as Christ does that a, that a wife would submit and follow and encourage as the church does. I mean outside because our world are watching our marriages and saying, what is the difference in Christianity? Your Christian marriages, how are they any different? But know that your kids are also watching your marriages. Um, Our marriages are supposed to be an apologetic, a defense of what is good and what is true and what is beautiful of what devotion and sacrifice and relationship with Christ looks like. And so the question is, what are we communicating to our kids? This is part of why we take marriage seriously here at Christ Community. We also believe that marriage means um, is a means for God sanctifying us. It's a means of God to bless us. And so we have a desire and a commitment to see marriages thrive. These passages in Ephesians, they set Christ as the example of leadership in the same way that Paul commends the Philippian church to imitate Christ. Uh, In Philippians 3.18, he says, "Uh, Christ, who uh, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. And so we see that Jesus is this servant leader. God in the flesh washed the dirty feet of his friends that he walked all day with. It was an example of how to love and serve others. And so godly leadership is not making servants of others, but is serving so that others want to, are delighted to, follow you in leading them to Christ and discipleship. Ephesians 5 also describes a godly wife. As the church is in godly submission to Christ, so wives are to live joyfully under their husband's leadership. She is to be a helper to her husband so that he would be successful, so that the family would thrive, so that he could lead well. The wife is ultimately trusting in God's design for family to live under her husband's God-given authority and participate in the way that benefits their family. Ephesians six then uh, speaks of the duty of children. It says, uh, Ephesians 6one to three, it says children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so it says obey, and I would argue that obedience is, is a stronger requirement than submission. Wives aren't call, uh, called to obey their husbands. A wife's submission is, is different than that. Submission is a voluntary self-giving to a lover whose responsibility it is to give constructive care. So submission is love's response to love. But children are are called to obey their parents and Paul quickly adds these restrictions of parental authority. He puts it in the context of godly education and instruction. And so children are supposed to uh, are to obey their parents because one it is right and it's right in this Romans 2 kind of way where it's written on every human heart regardless of whether we've been adopted into the family of God or not. And so throughout time and in all societies, there's this natural, right, expectation that children would obey their parents. It's been taught as self-evident, as plainly required by reason, as part of the natural order, recognizing that parental authority is uh, indispensable in a stable society. And Paul adds that children are to obey their parents because it's commanded by God. Not only is it written on the human heart, but it's revealed to God uh, by God to Moses written on stone tablets on the Ten Commandments. Now uh, my family loves Family Feud. I grew up watching Family Feud with Richard Dawson through all of them. I love Steve Harvey. And so this is what amazes me if if we're on Family Feud and it was top 10 answers on the board, right? The Ten Commandments. What are, what are three people surveyed, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. So what are, what are the rules of God, right? And the things that might pop into your head, the things that we say, well, God hates that. God doesn't like that, right? Those would get buzzed. Many of those would get buzzed. But out of the top five answers on the board, honor your father and mother is right there. Which means... That God cares about it, that it's an important. It means um, it means that honoring your parents is our duty to God. We are to honor them, which means to give weight, to enhance the reputation of. So now raise your hand if you're a child. Not childish, but child. Yeah, everyone's somebody's child, whether you know your parents may or not may or may not be still around, but Um, If you raised your hand, if your parents are still around, how are you enhancing the reputation of your parents? How might that glorify God? We acknowledge parents God-given authority and so we are to obey but also to love and to respect them. Leviticus 19.1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. So for God's covenant people, reverence for parents is an integral part of reverence for God. Now, I don't think we should bring back the, death penalty for disobeying your parents but it drives home the importance to God it should be important for us as well this is why we take parenting seriously at Christ Community there's a connection between God's commands for children to obey their parents and parents being obedient to God and instilling that obedience in their children our parenting it affects our children's understanding of who God is If we're just our kids' friends, if we're just our kids' buddies and there's no responsibility for their actions or helping them understand the holiness or the authority of God, we're doing our kids a disservice. Of course we want to express love and grace and mercy, all those great qualities of God, but that means that they have to first realize their need for grace. So when do we have to stop obeying our parents? Well, Scripture doesn't really say, but I think it's reasonable in each culture to understand that uh, when we are no longer under the authority of our parents. But that means for our adult children, when they leave and they cleave, there's a different expectation for them <coughs> and for the parents. We, uh, we don't get to dictate how they decide to, to lead. We don't get to dictate how they decide to follow. They don't get to dictate how they decide to parent their children. We can lovingly counsel and advise them if they ask for it, but we can't dictate what happens in their family. And so the obedience aspect of children will end, but the command to honor remains and may even intensify as we have aging parents. Our senior brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially our widows, how can we continue to bring them into the families into the life of the church and literally into our homes. Breaking bread ministry is is one way. You saw uh, an announcement for today. If you're interested in getting to know others in the church, having a meal with other believers or practicing hospitality, you should sign up or or talk to Gary Bush. Just uh, but you can just invite people over, invite our seniors into their home uh, to have dinner. Back to God's design for family that loving parents would be for their children's good, however imperfectly, and that they would be about their protection, pointing them to God and their purity. Protection, pointing them to Christ and purity. These are, these are actually uh, three of the points that I bring up in what I call the dad talk. And this is the talk that happens in the Thetford house when uh, one of my daughters has a special friend Uh, Someone that they're interested in and that is starting to become part of our life just by them hanging out together and they have influence. And so what happens is that this young man will come over and we'll have a talk and my daughter will be right there. And I um, I want to let him know and let them know, my kids know this, but that in the Bible there is no category for dating. There is the family category. There's the married category, and then there's the brother and sister in Christ category. And just because you say boyfriend and girlfriend now, that doesn't bring you out of the brothers, brother and sister in Christ category into some other category that allows you to, to do different things and have other different privileges. And so I say brother and sister in Christ because our kids know that as well. They've heard it from me. They see it in scripture that if they're going to date someone, it has to be a Christian. Um, they've seen it as well, just from the the pain and the struggle uh, from friends of ours that have, that have been in uh, marriages with an unbelieving spouse. So the three P's uh, that they that my job as a dad for my kids is to protect them. If a young man's going to come along, he's got to agree to that. My job as a dad is to point them to Christ. If a young man's going to come along, he has to be a Christian. He has to agree with that. He has to point them to Christ as well. And then I'm concerned with their purity. And this young man better be concerned with their purity as well. He better uh, bring them back more holy than when he left them. And so I will say in front of them, look, you will not lie to me. You will not encourage my daughter to lie to uh, my wife and I. And you, this is not a time to explore each other's bodies. That's the fun part because they squirm. So I want to be really clear, and I think it's a protection and a blessing, and my girls have told me that, exactly that, that it's a protection and it's a blessing for them, that we are all on the same page, that the rules have been laid down. Now, dads, feel free to use that uh, talk in your home, and it's up to you whether you want to be uh, cleaning your weapons as you as you give the talk, but. The point is that the expectation of obedience is also required of those who, who would have an influence on my children. So obedience to parents is grounded in nature and in scripture in general revelation in special revelation. And finally, children are to obey because of the gospel. And so if your ki- kids are Christians, as Christians, Jesus is our Lord and a Paul. He appeals to this Christian duty to our Lord Jesus. Children are to obey their parents. In addition to the first two categories before, because they're Christ followers. And so having a personal relationship with Christ and understanding of the gospel declares that we will respond in love and respect for sovereignly appointed parents and God's good design for family. When God pronounced as uh, what God pronounces good was devastated by the fall, the effects of the fall, human rebellion, sin, selfishness, all tainted family. Relationships are broken, society is fractured, love has become twisted and distorted, authority has become oppression. As new creations in Christ, as citizens of God's kingdom, we are called to more than just nature and more than just law. We're transformed by the gospel so that even obedience is centered on Christ. It should change us from, from reluctant compliance to obedience and gladness because we are eternally grateful for God's grace His ob- and, and obedience, um, obedience to your parents. It pleases God. We see that in Colossians 3.20 that says, Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And so wise parents will help their kids see that obedience to them as parents is God's will and God's design, God's purpose for both parents and children. All right, onto the duty of parents, Ephesians six, it says fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so Paul's warning here, Assumes that parents are to have authority over their children. And we see from Ephesians 5 that the father is to lead in impacting and disciplining and influencing children. And so, dads, you are to lead the way in impacting and discipling and influencing your children. And you're to do it with restraint. You are to be gentle, self-controlled, patient, loving, that your children would understand to the best of their ability, why you're doing the things you're doing. Help them to understand why you're called to parent them by God. Help them understand what your intentions are for them and discipline and encouragement and even reprimand, why you're challenging them to do hard things. And I hope you challenge them to do hard things why you aren't doing for them the things that they can do for themselves. Ask them thought-provoking questions about what they believe and why they believe it, and then listen when they talk. Trust me, I know, it, it will be the most inopportune time. It will be in the middle of the night, right? It will be on the way when you're late somewhere, that's when they will open up and that's when they won't wanna talk. Try and create space for that and be slow to just correct them. Nope. Ask them questions inquire. Why do they believe that? Why do they think that it's always better if they figure it out themselves by you asking good questions. It's always better if the words come out of their mouth. Your intention is to give them every opportunity to be to be independent adults who know the Lord and understand his gospel whether your kids confess him as Lord or not. As parents, we aren't to provoke children to anger or exasperate. The New English Bible calls it resentment. This doesn't mean that we therefore shouldn't provide discipline and instruction. Parents are to discipline and instruct their children for their good out of love in a way that doesn't bring about resentment. So what does that look like? Don't misuse your authority by making unreasonable commands. Don't misuse your authority by never expressing God's grace by humiliating or stifling your children understand your child as best you can. What are their temptations? What are their fears? What are their idols? What are their desires? How do they express love and so feel loved and encouraged? How do you encourage them to express the gifts and the personality that God has given them? Your job is to help them grow into their full potential, not conform them to your dreams. Guide them as you disciple them through loving discipline and instruction. In Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, he uses fatherhood as a metaphor for pastoral ministry. He says, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so we are to to disciple our children as well. We are called to make disciples in Matthew 28, the great commission, and we should. But your primary disciples are your kids. God has designed family so that everything you have learned, everything you've learned from and about following Christ can be passed on to your kids to the best of your ability. So that Jesus says, uh, he commands us, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And this begins at home. Paul says, bring them up. The word here means nourish into maturity feed them nurture them long before psychology emphasized the importance of the connection between the parent and the child uh, the Bible demonstrates that children are fragile beings in need of tenderness and security and love so what does the Bible mean regarding discipleship Uh, sorry discipline what does the Bible mean regarding discipline discipline here means training in the sense of correction it's the word used in Hebrews to describe the discipline of both fathers and God himself that is for our good God's discipline means that we are his from the writer Hebrews it says and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And so we're called as parents to discipline our children. Period. Now, can discipline be done wrong? Yeah, absolutely. But the opposite of bad discipline isn't no discipline. It's good discipline, it's true discipline, a discipline that's balanced, that's controlled, that's instructive. And so it's dangerous to discipline your child if if you're annoyed, if you're doing it out of anger, if your ego has been bruised. It does no good to sinfully discipline your child for their sins. Parents are to be about the instruction of our children. The implication is that parents need to jealously guard the responsibility of nurturing and nourishing their children. I believe that some of this may be delegated to the church and the school, but ultimately never surrendered. It is your responsibility. Know what your kids are being taught. Now I'm going to say something really controversial. Homeschooling is not the only option. If you can provide Christian home or or Christian homeschooling education for your kids or for your grandkids, praise God. But that doesn't mean there won't be difficulties. It doesn't mean that that is the solution. It also doesn't mean that your kids are doomed if they go to public schools. There are risks and there are benefits and you have to be vigilant. I've been training and taking students to evangelize to Mormons and to atheists, to New Agers, to Muslims, to to Jehovah's Witnesses for over 15 years. And I've had parents tell me that what I'm doing is foolish, that what I'm doing is dangerous. And I've had couples tell me that they would never send their kids with me because it would be like handing a rattlesnake to a child. Using that analogy, if you live in a place where there might be rattlesnakes and your child might run into one, don't you think it's better uh, you can do one of two things. You can h- lock them in their rooms or you can teach them to identify and to stay away from and if God forbid they get bit what to do. I understand that our children have to be raised up ready to battle in spiritual warfare. I want to train them as best I can to be 2 Corinthians ten five children that destroy arguments. Uh, and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This means that we don't shelter our kids and we don't leave our kids to find their own way. Many will say, well, I believe, I don't want to indoctrinate my kids. Well, (laughs) to which I would say, well, will you indoctrinate your kids to believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4? And other Christians will say, well, aren't we supposed to indoctrinate our kids? Isn't that why we bring them up in the church? Paul says, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. And he means that parents should raise their children in a way that honors God. I don't think that this means they have to go to Christian school rather than a secular education. It might. I think it depends on the child. I think it depends on the teacher. I think it depends on the school. I think it depends on how much time and energy you have. But it means more than this. It means that the Lord is the primary teacher in our kids' lives. We don't want our kids to just be good. We want them to be good for the right reasons. We want them not to just obey, but to obey from a heart that understands the gospel and ultimately loves Jesus so that they know and obey him. It does no good if our kids accept Christ out of pressure to comply or to appease their parents. Parents in their zeal for their children uh, to know Christ can be domineering and overprotective at times in our culture of helicopter parenting it should be a red flag when we do the very same thing except we slap Jesus on it we need to help our children to learn to think and to make their own decisions and to grow into the maturity in Christ their trust in God it has to be theirs their need to know not only what they believe but why they believe it Our choice isn't either indoctrination from the world or indoctrination in the church. Indoctrination means imposing or forcing your beliefs or your teacher's beliefs on the mind or the will of the child. Instruction, true education, biblical instruction is stimulation in which we as parents and teachers, we act as a catalyst, encouraging our children to respond from the heart. We're called to be faithful in teaching Christian values like truth and goodness and beauty. We're to make a case for them and defend them and recommend their acceptance, but not coerce. I know we want our kids to be protected. I get that, but not at all costs. We also want them to be the next generation of missionaries and evangelists, whether in their careers or across the globe. We want them to be salt and light to a decaying and dark world. Now I want to look at what the family dynamic is is good at. The family is this safe microcosm of the church. And it prepares us for interacting with the world. And so when asked which commandment is the most important, Jesus answers... And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so, loving God and others is a good description of a family that makes much of Jesus. Family is a great place to instill the wonder of who God is and instill it in, ch- in children the understanding and the worship of the glory of God. Children, as well can reinvigorate within a family and compel God's glory and majesty in the lives of their families. So how do families help us to love God? Speaking of the role of family and the proclamation of God's goodness, the Psalmist says, uh, Psalm 145 says, one generation shall commend your works to another. And so families to speak about God's majesty to one another, to talk about his kindness, his goodness, declaring his greatness, singing about his righteousness, praising his name. And I hope that you're having uh, talks about God and about life around the kitchen table and around the fire pit. And my kids grew up listening to to theology and suffering and God's goodness with believers and non-believers, neighbors and friends. Children might be young, but they're good detectors of hypocrisy a 2013 study showed that the single most powerful force in a child's religious formation is the spiritual personality of the parent which includes that their faith was personal that their faith was practiced that it was modeled that it was taught and that it included involvement in the church life beyond Sunday mornings. So if your family acts differently on Sunday mornings than the rest of the week. You're teaching them that Christianity isn't real, that it's a performance. And if your theology doesn't overflow into your family life, you need to ask yourself, why? Children will not be convinced to delight in God through a Christian life that is theoretical. It has to be real and authentic. Messy but genuine is better than tidy but detached. Though the good and the bad families, this opportunity to demonstrate the hope that Christians have in Christ, and that should be apparent when God blesses you, and it should be a response of gratitude and worship and delight in God himself. Don't hide your crying out to God in despair and suffering, lamenting and sorrow, and then trusting in the goodness and the sovereignty of God, even though you might not understand why he is allowing this to continue. Your family needs to see that come alongside growing in what it looks like to suffer well and trust in his promises. Family helps us to practice loving others well because loving others is what family does. Family life opens us up to the amazing opportunities that demonstrate the love of Christ to others. Believe it or not conflict happens in families. We blame everything else. All right, I'm going long and I'm trying to figure out how to land this. (laughs) Bear with me, I think this is important stuff. In family, we experience conflict. How we handle that conflict is going to teach our kids more than a lot of things. Family can be a place to practice self-sacrifice, to be for the flourishing of others. Look, we got to expect the conflicts going to happen. Uh, I use a book in, in premarital counseling and counseling that says uh, when sinners say I do, the idea is that you are a sinner marrying another sinner. The family version of that would be uh, when sinners get ready for church on a Sunday morning or when sinners go on a, on a road trip together. Family needs to be a place where we can live out the gospel of grace. We need God's grace in our lives to love others. Wow, I'm really long here. All right, I'm, I'm gonna say this. When you, when you don't do it well, when you don't, when you, blow, when you blow it, when you mess up, parents don't miss an opportunity to model confession, to model repentance, to model your need for Christ to your kids. Parents need to demonstrate to their kids their need for Christ. You're not the authority because you got it all together your kids know that you sin they experience it they're watching you a professing believer in Christ and how you respond to your sin covering it up justifying it brushing it under the rug is not what we're called to do saying do as I do or do as I do as I say not as I do is damaging to the name of the Christ when parents admit they are sinners in need of grace They can empathize with their children who sin we need to be parents that both understand the problem of sin and the power of the gospel to truly help our kids grow and spiritually mature worship team you can come up and i'm going to pray for us god we thank you just for the the model of um the example of family um god help us to to live that well to your glory for the good of those you've given us authority over, those you've given us responsibility over, um, that we would be uh, demonstrating your love and your impact in our lives uh, to those who are watching. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.